Hi, I'm Wayne Heinsohn, the pastor of Grace Church Australia. Thanks so much for checking out this podcast. We hope it is inspirational and it equips you to make known the name of Jesus. You can stay connected with us during the week by going to gracegathering.online. I have a message I want to share with you. It's called Three in One. That's our God. Um, And so today we're going to be heading into the New Testament book of um, Luke, chapter 15, um, where we'll find a parable, a very well-known parable called The Lost Sheep. And for a number of months, um, Holy Spirit has been placing that image of a shepherd um, full of delight, full of joy, with the sheep over his shoulders. He's been showing me that for months, just showing me that. And um, I just, I keep looking at it, I keep seeing it, it's in my mind's eye, and I keep seeing it, and I just see the delight, the joy on his face as he carries the sheep on his shoulders. And, um, and I know that that delight from reading that parable, I know that delight comes from finding the lost, from finding the one that was lost. And the delight that comes on his face because of that, because our saviour is the good shepherd and he delights in those that come to him. He rejoices, the Bible tells us. So when we look at Luke 15, we see that um, the lost sheep is not actually the only parable in chapter 15. There are three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin and the lost son. And you might know the lost son as the prodigal son story of his return. And so what I want to share on today is the three in one. So there were three parables and I'm not going to share on all of them today, but there are a set of three parables in this chapter, nothing else, a set of three. And they're all about lost and found things. And so, as we said there, you can see up on the screen, lost sheep, lost coin, and lost son. And if you've been in church for any number of years, you would know and probably have heard all of these parables and heard many messages shared about these parables. I'm sure you can come up here and share your own message (laughs) based on those parables because they're quite familiar. Okay, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and then the lost son. But... Um, I don't want you to switch off today, church. I don't want you to go, yeah, heard it all before. (laughs) I don't want you to switch off. I want, just because of something is familiar doesn't mean we can't learn something. So I want you just to be really um, open to that, to whatever Holy Spirit breathes, new revelation from the Word of God um, in you today. So remember that the Word of God is alive and active and there is always something fresh and new, amen, to be found and to be revived with. The word is reviving you, as I share with you this morning. So Luke 15 contains three parables, and all of the three parables are about lost and found things, but really what the theme is about, all three of them, is about redemption. The theme that is carried through Luke 15 is that there is redemption. What was lost was found, and I rejoice. What was lost is found in each, each of those parables, there is that theme of redemption. And so this morning, there's a lot of teaching today, so I've asked my helper to go nice and slow as he flicks through. 
um, the slides with us today. But I want to remind you that in the Hebrew, so that the Word of God mostly in the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, and the New Testament is written in Greek. Greek. So I want to share a little bit of Hebrew today. Um, and if you're not familiar with Hebrew, um, there are letters so in the alphabet, like we would have A, B, C. Each one of those letters has a picture associated with it. And then also a numerical value. Okay, So the alphabet, um, as we would go through in our alphabet, A would be one, two, three, as we count through the alphabet. And it's the same in Hebrew. So the number three, so there are three parables. And the number three is associated with Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so our God is a triune um, God in nature, so meaning he is three in one. And so there are three individual persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but one God collectively. And um, I love that it is because I'm going to be homeschooling my kids this year and as I've been looking at year eight maths, <laughs> I've been learning a lot. Now, Ariel is heading into year eight. I've been learning a lot. But God always uses the things in our day-to-day -day life to teach us. And do you know that the triangle is the strongest shape to build with? Three sides is the strongest shape to build anything with, if you think about bridges. And so I thought, how cool is that? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, perfect trinity, strength, unity. That's our God, church. We forget sometimes the things of this world. Um, we just use them or make use of them. And we forget that God is actually the one who created them. And God created shapes. God created maths. God created everything. And we, we use those things and we forget. But God has set in the word of God and in creation, patterns and order, mathematical order and patterns. And so when I see the number three, I remember the triune God. And what does it tell me about the triune God? Three sides like the triangle is the strongest together. It's the strongest strength and unity. So I want you just to remember, you can surprise someone at a dinner party about that fact. <laughs> the triangle is the, is the strongest shape. So our God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but I, I actually drop the the now when I talk about Holy Spirit because Holy Spirit is a person. And so I don't say, good morning, the Matt. <laughs> I don't do that. But I would talk about God the Father and I would talk about Jesus the Son. I don't say the Jesus, the God. I say God. And so now I'm very conscious of just calling him by his name, Holy Spirit. So if maybe you've seen that or heard that as I've shared with you. but um, So Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune God. So when we look at the Hebrew alphabet and numbers, we see the Trinity reflected in the, the set of three parables. The first parable, the lost sheep, is the Aleph. Aleph is number one. The second parable, um, the lost coin, number two in Hebrew, Bet. Okay? And the third one, Gimel, is number three. 
and that's the lost son. So there's three parables, triune God, three in one, and let's have a look at what God wants us to get out of this this morning. So the Trinity is reflected in the three. So wherever you um, go throughout the Bible, there are so many interesting things about three. And you'll see the Trinity reflected in all of the Word of God. So it's reflected in many ways and on many different levels. So if we just go to the next slide there, Tobias, the summary of the Hebrew meanings. So if I looked at Aleph, Aleph has a picture of an ox. It's the first, it's the leader, it represents strength. Okay, so that's number one. Number two is the bet in the picture of a house in a Hebrew. And number three, a picture of a foot, camel or walking. And so each of those things, if I was just to read the three parables, I would get a literal understanding of what those parables are telling me. Something was lost and then it was found and we rejoice. It's a plan of redemption. But in the Hebrew, if we dig deeper into the word of God, church, there is so much revelation that points continually to our Saviour or points continually to the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And so there are only three stories in the, in the chapter of Luke 15, sorry, in chapter 15 of Luke, and each one of those represents Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So I'm going to expand on that a little bit. So Aleph. Um, we, we read about that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. That's in the Greek, but in the Hebrew, he is the Aleph Tav. Aleph is the first, the first leader. He is the beginning and the end. So if we look at Aleph, Aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew alpha, alphabet, and it has the numerical value of one, the first. Who is the first person of the triune God? God the Father. And so um, it has the numerical value of one, but it also has a numerical value of 1,000. And um, that's just how they count. And, and it just represents that bigger number as well. And 1,000, if you look through the history um, of tithing and things like that, represents redemption. So here in the beginning, in the Aleph, we're learning about, yes, it's association with redemption. So it can mean first, leader, strength, chief. The picture of an ox is the strength. Okay, so God the Father, the first person. If we look at Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. He's the first. In the beginning, God. That's the first sentence in the Bible. In the beginning, God. Nothing else, God is creator. In the beginning, God. He is the first. He is the chief. He is the strength. He is God the Father. He created the heavens and the earth. And so if we look at the next slide there, we can see the Aleph, God the Father, the first person of the triune, the lost sheep. That's the first. We're not going to dig into all of these parables today, but I just want to give you an overview of what we find. So the first person... Of the triune God is God the Father, Aleph. Okay, the next one. So we just added in there. We can see the three of them. So we've looked at God the Father. The second one, the bet. Bet is a picture of a house or a family or inn. And when we're saved, we become children of God. We become God's family. Church. 
The house in Israelite culture represented family lineage, inheritance. And so Jesus is the lineage passed down from the father, the seed. He is the seed for God's family under the new covenant. And as we receive him as saviour, we enter into that family. We enter in as co-heirs with Christ. We become God's children. We go into the house. So the house represents Jesus, the son, the second person of the triune God. So let's read Genesis 3 verse 5. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Jesus is the seed for moving forward, the heavenly seed, get rid of the natural seed, the line of Adam, and Jesus is the start of the new family, the new house. And let's look at Romans 8, 17. Now, if you were... You were now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share his glory. So if we look at the next slide there, we can see that the bet, the house, is Jesus, the Son of God. So we have the Aleph, the first, that's our father. God the Father. And the bet is the second. It represents the seed, the lineage of our God, that we are children and Jesus is the first seed in that family. So let's look at number three, Gimel. So as we're going through, we will know that Gimel now is number three. Number three. Okay, and it has that um, numerical value of three. And Gimel is a picture. It sounds strange to say a camel. How on earth does that relate? But it's not, it doesn't always um, line up. There's always intricate meanings for all of those um, meanings. It's not just one and or. There's always so much that you can draw out of it. So the walk, let's look at that. So camels were used on journey. That's what the relationship is, the walking. And so... Um, Hebrew reads from left to right. And so Gimel is a letter that is written with the foot pointing to the left. So it's heading somewhere. The Gimel is number three, but it's pointing in the direction of the fourth letter. And the fourth letter is Dalet. So A, B, C, D, they have a G instead of a C. Dalet is a door. So the foot is walking towards the door. Now, if your mind's going, Jesus is the door. So the foot is leading us towards the door. The Holy Spirit leads us to the door. The Holy Spirit is the only person who can transform and bring salvation to people. We can tell people, but it's the Holy Spirit who leads them through the door. Go on, okay, church? The Holy Spirit is the third person of the triune God. And he leads people 
to the truth found in the door. And we know that the door is Jesus. So let's look at John 15, 26. What is the role of the Holy Spirit? But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. The Holy Spirit leads us to truth. That's the foot. He's leading us to truth. Ephesians 3 verse 4 to 5 says, In reading this then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. The Spirit, Holy Spirit, reveals the mysteries of Christ. When you read your word, he reveals the mysteries of Jesus. And that's what we're doing this morning. We're unveiling the mysteries of Christ. As we share the word and we dig in deeper and we say, yes, I can understand the parables as a lost and found theme of redemption. But if we want to know more, if we want to see our Jesus face to face, if we want to push in church, then we're going to have to ask the Holy Spirit to lead us to truth. I can read the Bible and it just has the literal story of those parables. Something was lost and found. But do you want more? Are you hungry for more? Then you need the Holy Spirit to lead you to truth. And so that is his role. That is the role of the Holy Spirit, that he would unveil the mysteries of Christ. And in John 10, 9, it says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is the door. So the gimel, the foot leading that way, is leading us to the door. The door is Jesus, the door to the truth. So the next slide there. Um, is the Gamel, third person of, of the triune God, and the lost son. We're going to investigate it over a number of weeks. We'll go through each one. But today we're not. So church, why am I showing you all of that? What relevance does it have to you? Some of you might think, whew, over my head and I'm not interested. But what it does is shows us that God is creator. God has a plan and a purpose. God has set in um, order and pattern. And the mysteries of Christ are hidden in everything. Because Jesus is the plan. And if we reveal the Trinity three in one, then we can also reveal him as individuals. We can see the individual persons of God. They're at many different levels and at many different, um, so it can be on a literal level, it can be a deeper level, we can see it. And there's many different ways that the Holy Spirit can reveal the mysteries of Christ to you. He might show you what the Holy Spirit is up to. He might show you the Father and what the Father's heart is. He might show you the pain, the agony that Jesus went through, the sacrifice. He might show you all different things. They are three persons but one. And so the Word of God is filled with treasure, church. It's about seeing 
God in all his glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and seeing him within the depths of the word. He is everywhere in the word. And I love that he is creator and he has set those patterns and purpose because his plans always prevail. If you dig into the word, you will say, wow, your mind will be like, wow. I'm like that at home. Why would you show me that? These are the mysteries of Christ that the Holy Spirit can show you. And remember, church, Jesus, Yeshua, salvation is at the centre of it all. The Holy Spirit is pointing, he's walking, he's leading us to the door, leading us to Jesus. If it's not about Jesus, then it's not the Holy Spirit. Because that is his primary role, is to reveal the mysteries of Jesus. And he hasn't stopped doing that from generation to generation. He's doing it right now in this room, out there, in another country, across the ocean. He is moving. The spirit of truth is moving on the hearts of men and women. That's what his role is, to bring them to the point of finding Jesus. So as we narrow our focus now just a little bit on the lost sheep, I'm not going to go into it word by word, but just we're going to narrow it down a little bit. I want you to remember that the triune God will always reveal himself as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He will always reveal different aspects of him. He is three in one. So let's read the, the parable. Luke 15, verse 1 to 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So that's the, the first story, the Aleph, God the Father. I can't wait to share <laughs> on this, but it's not today, unfortunately. So if we look at that in a literal way, as I've been sharing, we're reminded about our beautiful Saviour Jesus as the Good Shepherd. That's, if we just read that story, we'd be like, wow, he's a great shepherd. He rejoices. He has the sheep on his shoulders. He's carrying that sheep. He's gone. He's left all of those ones behind and he's gone out after the one. And we see the joy on his face and we go, that's our saviour. That's our shepherd. And the Bible tells us that he is the good shepherd. So let's look at some of those scriptures. John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John 10, 14 to 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. 
And in, in an Old Testament scripture, Isaiah 40, verse 11, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. So we get that image. We see that our beautiful saviour, Jesus, is a good shepherd. And we see that in the story, the parable, and we see it in those other scriptures. It's a reflection of God's heart, that he cares for the sheep, that he keeps them close to him. And so maybe that's something that you've heard someone share on when they've shared about the lost sheep. Those are themes that maybe you've heard. Yes, he's a good shepherd. Yes, he cares for it. He goes after the lost. Those are some of the themes that we've, we talk about when we share that parable. But when I asked Holy Spirit about it, I said, all right, so why am I sharing it? <laughs> why am I sharing this well-known parable? What is it you want me to say that, no, that everyone may not have already heard? What is it you want me to say? And he began to open my eyes to another level of understanding. When you ask, he shows you. And um, I'd, I've not heard it preached on before. And so this, I'm going to just be a bit blunt in my interaction with the Holy Spirit. This is how I talk to him. Because he's a person, I talk to him this way, all right? So I encourage you to talk to him in this way too, as a friend, where he can reveal the truth to you when you're reading the Word of God. This is my thought process. So I'm talking to Holy Spirit. Okay, where do I start? <laughs> That's what I say. I know all about the lost sheep. Where do I start? What do, I, what do you want me to say to your beloved? And the Holy Spirit said, well, who is Jesus talking to in the parables? So let's look at Luke 15, verse 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus in verse 2, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So when I asked Holy Spirit, okay, where do you want me to start? He says, well, who's he talking to? The answer to that is my response to Holy Spirit, the Pharisees. <laughs> I ask questions, he answers, he speaks to us if you're willing to listen. So my answer and my response is the Pharisees. They were muttering about Jesus, so Jesus then speaks to their religious beliefs. Okay? And then the Holy Spirit asked, asked me, well, who are the Pharisees? What do they believe? My response, I don't know. <laughs> That's how I talk to him. He's my friend. I have conversations with him. He is in the room with me. He dwells inside of me. And I said, I don't know. Who are they? Well, I do know a bit about them, but not, you know, everything in detail. So Holy Spirit says, well, find out about them and what they believe. So that's where we're starting church. Okay, so Pharisee. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. He gives them three parables. Why? And that's where we're starting. So the Pharisee, Pharisee, the actual word Pharisee means set apart. And the Pharisees were um, a religious sect, okay, from among the Jews. And they were very pious and full of pride and hypocrisy. And they thought they were superior, above Jews, above every other nation, that they were um, 
set apart. That's why their name means set apart, Pharisees. And they were exclusively righteous. So everything they worked towards was to be the best and superior and they looked down on everyone else. And so we read about them in all four of the Gospels and in the book of Acts. And Jesus was very antagonistic against them. Jesus spoke to them and the parables are, when you dig into them, are actually a reprimand to the Pharisees. And so um, Jesus went out of his way, so to speak, to remind them of who they were and that they were not superior, that they did not have the exclusive right to righteousness. And um, so we want to dig into that a little bit more. So they believed in the written law, the law as we know it, the Mosaic law, but they also added oral tradition. They believed that as Moses shared um, on Mount Sinai, Sinai, that there was an oral tradition to be added to the law. And we know in Revelation it tells us not to add to the word of God, and they did. They added rules and regulations and traditions that bound the Israelite people up so much there was a spirit of control over them that they had to be so strict, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. So even well above the law, which is a set of rules and requirements, the Pharisees were on a whole other level of religiousness and they bound people up with that. And um, so that's where we're starting, church. They held rigid interpretations of the law and they, held, they manipulated, manipulated people with control. Their behaviour, their actions, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, and then you're righteous like us. So they held themselves to be set apart, even, even above regular um, Jews. And so Jesus was antagonistic against that because that's not the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father is for liberty. He gave us a free will to follow after him. And here the Pharisees were controlling and manipulating people to follow well above the law, these traditions and rules. And so in Matthew 3, 7, Jesus pinpoints that religious spirit. I like that God showed me this. He pinpoints that religious spirit behind their beliefs and doctrines as being from the very heart of Satan. I didn't recognise this at first, but Jesus did because he's God. He sees the spirit behind everything. And so in Matthew 3, 7, it says... But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? That brood of vipers is offspring. You offspring of the snake. That's what he is saying. The, the religiousness behind what you are doing is from the snake. It's the heart of the enemy to bind us up, church. Because it's the, it's the enemy's heart. Because he thought in his self-righteousness and in his pride that he could be like God. And that's why he was cast out of heaven. And so when he's saying that scripture in verse um, three, chapter 3, verse 7, he's saying, I see what that's there. I see the spirit behind that. It's the very heart of Satan that you would be filled with pride to say, I can make it on my own and full of pride and self-righteousness in no need of a God. That's where it comes from. So that's the heart of the Pharisees. And they also twisted God's definition of sin to suit themselves. And they made sin something that's external. 
I can fix my sin by following this, this and this and it will all be good. They actually changed. The Pharisees believed that sin was external. It was all based on rule following. But church, sin is not based on rule following. Sin came into the world, a dominion of sin came into the world because of the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. So everyone falls short of the glory of God. But the Pharisees didn't see it that way. The Pharisees excluded and twisted God's definition of sin and said, well, I'm good enough. If I follow these rules, I don't need to worry about that. But God is all about the blood covering. And so the Pharisees went about their way saying, if we follow this rule and follow this rule and stick to this and stick to that, then I can be just like God in their self-righteousness. So they twisted the view of sin. Romans 5, 12 to 13 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, so also death was passed on to all men because all sinned. For sin was in the world before the law was given. And the Pharisees took that and they said, no, we'll have none of that, thanks. We'll make our own way. Another two things very quickly that the Pharisees did to prove or earn their righteousness. That's what a legalistic spirit is, earning your righteousness. So they twisted these things. They elevated the act of almsgiving and they made tithing into an equivalent for righteousness. So they said, if you tithe this and if you tithe that and if you tithe this, you're earning your way by tithing everything you have. You're tithing this to get a righteousness. We know many religions are like that around the world. If you give, then you will be, if you give an alms, then you will be um, forgiven or something along those lines. So almsgiving was one of the things they twisted and also cleansing and washing. The difference between some things that are clean and unclean. They made a whole heap of rules around that. They twisted those things. So Jesus repeatedly challenged those beliefs. And he warns his disciples in Matthew 16 to be beware of the legalistic traditions of the Pharisees. Let's read it, church. Matthew 16, verse 6. Watch out, Jesus warned them. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He actually warns them a number of times. It's throughout the gospel. But he warns them, don't go after the religiousness. Don't have a religious spirit. Keep your eyes on me and follow me. The yeast it talks about leaven as well, as another word that they say. The yeast, as we know, is in the form of baking bread. And so, as Amy was sharing this morning, Jesus is our bread. And he is warning the disciples not to eat the bread of religious spirit. He says, beware of that leaven. Beware of the tradition, the, the uh, things, the rules that they've set up from the past and passed down through generation and generation to bind people up. Beware of that. Beware. I'm telling you this morning, church, beware of the religious spirit. Beware of the traditions and the rules that the church may have 
over the years brought in. And Jesus is calling you this morning to beware in the same way that he told his disciples. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Because it's a warning that holds true for us today. It's a reminder to live under the new covenant of grace. We are not under law. Beware of the religious spirit that comes from the heart of the enemy. And to live under the freedom of the covenant of grace and to feed on, this is important, to feed on Jesus' body. Not to feed on what was the religiousness of the Pharisees, but to eat the body. He tells us when he has communion, he tells us to eat of his body, as Amy shared this morning. John 6, 32 to 33, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. We are to be consuming the life found in Jesus. So as we are sheep and as leaders that come up and we we impart um, messages to you, the word of God to you, we are feeding you. Shepherds, sheep, we are feeding you, but we want to feed you the life. We are not going to feed you the leaven, the pharisaical religious spirit. That is our role as shepherds. That is the role of the Holy Spirit is to reveal the mysteries of Christ. You need to feed on Jesus How do we do that? We sit in his presence, we pray, we read the word of God, we take communion. And God is wanting us to understand church in these, at the start of this year, but in these last days, that we are to feed on him. The life comes from him. Okay? So I want to finish this morning, I want to encourage you that As we move into 2024, our God wants you to remember again. He reminds us over and over again because it can slip from our mind. The enemy can steal it from our mind. He wants us to remember our identity in Christ. He wants us to remember that we are under the new covenant of grace and that we are carriers of his presence. He wants us to remember, church, that out there in the world, We are to carry the Father's heart, that rejoicing when one is lost and found. He wants us to carry the Father's heart out into the world and rejoice when one is lost and found. That's the heart of the Father. He doesn't want us to go out with a religious spirit. And sadly, that can happen through other churches or other understandings of the word so i just want to encourage you church god's heart is that none should perish and that should be our posture too our posture should be like the shepherd one has been found and we rejoice like the father
And in each of those stories, there is one thing that is lost, and God is reminding me that he is concerned with the one. There is a great harvest to come, but he is concerned with the one. He knows each of us by name. He knows all of the people out there by name. I just want to encourage you, church, in each of those stories, there's one thing that's lost. Who is the one person, maybe in your sphere, who is lost, that we can all celebrate and rejoice that is found because maybe you spoke a word, you prayed for them, you did something. Amen? To hear more podcasts from Grace Church Australia, make sure you subscribe and stay connected by going to gracegathering.online.